congregation to stand for the hearing of the gospel. A reading from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox for me, listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Luke tells us that at that very hour, some anxious Pharisees came to warn Jesus that he is in danger. But I want to pause there for a moment and ask, but what was happening in that very hour that saying that is significant for us? Well, for some time now, Jesus has purposefully made his way to Jerusalem. He is now just days away from arriving there, and along the way, he stays in various communities to teach and share the good news of his mission. It's hard to know exactly how far he is at this point, but he's at that place in Luke's narrative in the middle of a, of a litany of parables. Jesus healing infirmities of those who are sick in all the places that he stops, and he is busy at that work. And just prior to this hour, that the Pharisees arrive, someone has just asked Jesus, Lord, will only a few of us be saved? And Jesus' answer to that was to say that we must strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Now this narrow door that he is talking about is not an actual door, but perhaps better understood as a way, a narrow way of life or living or making our way. And this narrow way includes things like repenting of our sins, bearing the fruits in our life, in our living, healing the sick, and having faith the size of a mustard seed. Jesus himself was on this path to enter this narrow door, and he was teaching everyone along the way what this walk was like. And he's talking about the urgency of this because one day the owner of the house for which this door leads will close that door. In other words, I believe what Jesus is trying to say is now's the time to follow. We're not waiting for that day to follow. This is it. This is the moment. I've come. Now follow me. And then as if on cue to this message, the Pharisees show up with their dread and their harsh news. They're trying to compel Jesus to take another way now. 
In fact, they tell him that he needs to go the very opposite direction for which he's headed because trouble awaits him if he keeps going forward. Now, this story strikes me as very similar to another story that's going to happen almost six chapters later. Jesus will be in Jerusalem and he will weep over that city and that spot and that place. And he will weep over because he knows that that city and those people and those religious leaders will reject him. And they cannot and will not accept or see the peace he brings. He's been told to stay away from the place that he makes pilgrimage to every year. And he weeps because he knows that there are those who are desiring a war to go against Rome. And he knows they're going to get it. Many think he might be the instigator of this. And Jerusalem will fall, and he mourns. And today's story is similar. His words of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long? How often I have wanted to reach out to you. But it's different. It is my sense in that story later on that his sadness, his weeping comes from a sense of sadness. But for me, this is not a lament today that comes out of sadness, but of determination. A determination to continue his journey. The mission the devil wanted to stop him from taking last week, as you recall. And today, the Pharisees want him to step aside as well. His destination is on the horizon and he will not be stopped. There's another perplexing detail about this narrative. It's a rich story. So many things. But usually these Pharisees are antagonistic to Jesus. They're always seeming to be his enemy if you will. And soon they will develop a plot to take his life, and that is true. But now it seems they're concerned for his well-being. Is this a change of heart, or is there something, something that lacks integrity here? There's two schools of thought. One school of thought is that they're acknowledging that these Pharisees are not a monolistic group. At least some of the Pharisees could have believed and heard and chosen to even follow Jesus. And knowing human nature and the human condition, I can't believe that every Pharisee was a sworn enemy to Jesus. We have the story of Nicodemus to show us at least some rode the fence on him. But another school says, and based on the long troubled relationship that Jesus has with with these Pharisees, that something more nefarious is going on here. It could be that this was a strategy of Herod and doing harm to Jesus in a public way for him after healing so many people who had spiritual and physical needs. Well, it wouldn't have looked very good. It created maybe a political conundrum. It would be better for Herod if Jesus just went ahead and left altogether. Let's just avoid what's coming, in other words, as if that might be good for everyone. So he doubles down on this use of fear to get Jesus to leave the area. And he knows that if Jesus comes too close, he will meet the same men that his cousin John the Baptist did at the hands of Herod. So it's under this shadow of conspiracy that the Pharisees come putting on a kind face, but with a dark plot underneath it all. However, we want to read the Pharisees here. It's up to us, I suppose, and both of those schools of thought might hold true. But I don't know that Luke's interested in us figuring out their motives. Luke is showing to us that Herod is an open book. We know Herod. 
Herod is a known factor. We know what motivates him. We know that he is about power wielded over to fear and oppression. And Jesus didn't need the Pharisees to tell him that. Last week we said that there's one temptation, and that temptation was to die this mission. And here we are again. But the point here seems to be that Jesus will not be thwarted. He will not be thwarted by the devil last week, and he will not be thwarted by Herod the fox today. Jesus will continue to reveal he has a different power than Herod. He will soon reveal that the city of Jerusalem might belong to Herod under Roman permission, of course, but the people of Jerusalem, the people of God, still belong to God. And there's a stark contrast between Herod and Jesus that we're able to see today, a mothering hen and a fox, one of power and fear and one of love and mercy. Luke paints a powerful image for us today. Jesus' deep love for this place and these people, it evokes this idea of Jesus as a mothering hen, desiring to bring her scattered brood of chicks under her wings and, and close to her breast for protection. But this is not a timid, it is not a passive love, it is a determined love. And those who know such things would tell us that a mothering hen and her determination to protect her chicks is second to none. As vulnerable as she may be, she will stand between them and danger at every turn. And Christ has shown us that with God, there is no ends for, the, for which this is not true between us and God. And the lament is that Jerusalem was scattered. And the lament is they're unwilling to be drawn close to that mothering hen. And to this, Jesus simply says, to those who are not willing, your house is left to you now. Now, this is a small phrase. It's a small passage, but I think it's significant not to move past it too fast. Because I think it tells us <clears throat> that where Herod is willed and forced and manipulated, God and God's people was subjugated him to fear and to, and to might, Jesus welcomes. Jesus implores. Jesus invites. Jesus could have used force to will people to accept, I suppose. But he chooses invitation. Jesus chooses freedom and open doors that we might walk through, narrow though they may be. And we see these forces at work in our world and in our lives and perhaps in our own hearts today. Wars are used still to those who will not bend or those who not will bow down to the wants and wills of another nation. And we are seeing the tragedy that unfold every day. Status and privilege continue to give power and sway to some but not others. Too often we believe that harsher punishments or punitive measures are what are going to deter from folks who make mistakes in our world today. When people struggle or make mistakes, sometimes we see character flaws instead of opportunities to ask, how can I help? 
And you and I are supposed to measure such things to that of Christ. How does he respond? How do we respond? Christ is the Prince of Peace. Christ offered grace to overcome our faults and our sins. And he is one who died on a cross that was meant to scare anyone who might choose to follow him. The narrow way of Christ is clear. And we are not forced to follow these ways. We are invited to do so, but there is no other way than those of Christ. This way is narrow. And in every moment, you and I may have opportunities for the door to open to offer grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. But those doors will close if we don't act when it is time to do so. Today and tomorrow, the next day, will afford us opportunities to love and offer grace. But we must step through those doors when they open. Lent is our time to confess that we do not step through that door often enough. Lent is that time to admit that sometimes we need a change of heart. So how can we maintain or how can we have changed hearts ready to walk this path Christ puts in front of us? Someone tells the story of a time in his life when, well, nothing was easy. Everything was hard. It seemed as though conflict and controversy came at him at every turn and they were he began to wonder, do I need a change of career? Do I need a new job? Do I need to move to a whole different place at this point? I'm just weary. Many of us have been in that place where nothing is easy and our mission doesn't seem to take us where we thought it would. We experience this in our families. We experience this in our jobs, in the world, and even in the church at times. So the man decided he was going to pray a simple prayer. God, show me where I need to go. Now, he thought that maybe God would cheer to him that I need to do this, I need to do this or that, and he waited for God to speak. Yet as he prayed, there was only one thing that kept coming to mind. There was one symbol, and it was the cross. This image reminded him that he needed to go towards God, and that included the cross. And the only way to Christ, to that mother and him who accepts us, is through the cross as well. And he began to rediscover that his way and direction, Christ's way that is, was to face conflict, was to offer grace in the messes we make, and to endure the struggle and never walk away from them. As one person writes, our Lenten journey is no journey if we experience the cross, if we don't experience the cross, that symbol of what stands between the Lord and us, if we are unwilling to be challenged with change or fearful that nothing can be different, then we turn away from the journey Jesus leads us on to the cross and we will simply hide out in Lent instead of taking a heart-changing journey. So the cross, if we follow it, I want to offer that it will lead us home. It will always lead us home. Jerusalem was a spiritual home for Christ. But it is where a cross, it is a cross is where he met that, where he, it was in that home for which he met the cross. 
Jerusalem was not a mere symbol of God's presence and, and God's might. It was a place where people made pilgrimage to. It's a place where he learned and taught alongside rabbis. It's a place that as a child he was missing from his parents for three days. And when they finally found him, he asked him, why were you worried? Didn't you know exactly where I'd be? I'd be in my father's house. This is what Jerusalem was for Jesus. It was home. And Jesus' lament over Jerusalem was that those like Herod, fear and oppression, had taken something of this home away. And as a result, the people of Jerusalem, God's people, were broken and lost and afraid to follow God any longer. They had been subject, subjected to fear for too long. They had been anxious for so long that they no longer flourished but tried to survive. And that's no life. So I pray that if something of this is true for you, if in any way you feel this way yourself as a disciple, as a parent, as a friend, as a human being, for any reason, look to go home this Lent. Make your way home again. I can't think of a more home-filled image than that of a mothering hen inviting us to draw close. What a powerful image. What a powerful thing it is to think that we have been drawn to God in such an intimate way. A God who wants to protect us and guide us. The story goes that one moonlit night, a fox was prowling about a farmer's chicken coop. And he saw a hen roosting way up high and out of reach. Good news, good news, the fox cried out. Why, what is that? asked the hen. King Lion has declared a universal truce. No beasts may hurt a bird henceforth, but all shall dwell together in brotherly friendship. Why, that is good news, said the hen. And there, see, coming, with whom can we share a good tiding but the one who comes now? And so the hen craned her neck and looked in the distance as if someone were about to appear at any moment. What is it that you see? asked the fox. It's only the master's dog coming towards us. What, going so soon, the hen said to the fox as it began to turn away. Will you not stop and congratulate the dog on the reign of universal peace? I would gladly do so, said the fox. But I fear he may not have heard of King Lion's decree. The fox, of course, lied to the chicken, to the hen, about the decree of universal peace. But we know the different story that God offers us. The truth is, is that the kingdom of God is at hand. And it is present in a deep and surprising way. And the point of this story is that cunning often outwits itself. And Herod is the agent of fear and worry and control. He is the fox. Jesus is the hen. God is the lion. And when we look out at our world these days, there seems to be much fear. And, and we can see the foxes use fear still to this day. Fear is fuel, as they say. The fear of our faults and failures, the fear that somehow the faults and failures of others will somehow make us look bad can cause us to want to run the other directions at times. And for this reason, we can be scattered. 
Christ offers us to come home today, to draw near to him. In our fears and in our worries, draw close to Christ so that you do not feel alone. The dangers are real. They will not be taken away, but Christ will help us endure. Grace and forgiveness are the wings that cover a multitude of sins and mistakes. The beating heart of the mothering hen that we hear when we draw close can heal what is broken between us, within us, and among us. We are the chicks. Jesus is the mothering hen. So imagine for a moment, if you will, that you are close to her today. You're close enough to hear that heartbeat. Feel the warmth of those wings that cover you. Know that that same love you can offer one another. Be that for the world. Each of us may have a spiritual home, that place that that we felt sent, that was important to us, a home, a, a church, somewhere in nature. But all of us have the same spiritual home in Christ. Help each other this Lent to find this home, to be drawn close to God. Forgive when you can, love as often as you can, and if you fall, get back up again because with Christ's help, you can. Thanks be to God. Amen.